Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. The souls of men. Counselor, comforter, keeper. Spirit we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost the way. Oh, we've hopelessly lost you are the one that we praise you are the one that we praise you are the one we adore you give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for oh our hearts always Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving your own, here in our weakness you find us, falling before your throne. Oh, we're falling before you are the one. are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. You are the one. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger Sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what means we often forfeit? Take it to the Lord, 
Thank you, Miss Loretta. And in light of that, before we get started this morning, I would like to ask if we have anyone here this morning, if you've served in any branch of our armed forces, would you please stand this morning? Can we get a round of applause for these? Greater love hath no man than he would lay down his life for his friends. You know, this week, looking forward to Veterans Day, I had a thought. Brother Jason, when we were talking about service this week, did we have any regulations from the outside that told us what we were able to do? Just the Holy Spirit, wasn't it? I'm going to move this before I kick it over. <laughs> Nothing but the Holy Spirit had to guide us. Nobody told us how to formulate our service this morning, how many songs we could sing, how long I could preach, what I could preach about. Nobody told any of you where you had to go to work this week other than your boss who's paying you. But you chose to get that job. You could have went and got another job. Gentlemen, that is because of your bravery and the bravery of men and women just like you. So thank you so much on this Veterans Day. I cannot say thank you enough. This morning, before we get started, too, before I forget, I also want to mention that these boxes of cards have been brought in. They are for Hearts for Hunger. If you would be willing to fill out a card that says, Rocky Valley loves you, we're praying for you, put your personal name and number in there if you want to, I don't care. Take a card up here, that's what they're here for. Uh, there's four boxes of cards. Grab one, bring that back in, give it to Miss Candy or give it to myself or place it on the pulpit. Put it somewhere uh, between now and next Saturday when the giveaway is. We're going to put those in the boxes uh, for this holiday season. Let them know that we're thinking of them. Just put a little extra card in there uh, as we give out those boxes. So please come and get a card. They've already been bought for you. All you have to do is fill it out. And as we dive into our text this morning, thank you again to uh, Brother Jason, uh, Miss Amy, Miss Linda for playing, and to our choir. Did our choir not sound amazing this morning? Guys, I want you to know that they started those songs Wednesday night, Wednesday night, and, and sounded amazing this morning. Thank you uh, for being willing to serve and for singing to the Lord this morning. This morning, we're on a subject that's going to strike a chord uh, in most of our lives, and that's the subject of drawing nearer to God in trials. Drawing nearer to God in trials, because we've all experienced from time to time, and many of you right now are experiencing a trial in your life. You're experiencing a season where things don't feel quite right, a season where you feel isolated, a season where you just, you can't feel like you're plugged into God the way you'd like to be. Maybe you wonder if, if God is leaving you on an island. And so this morning we're going to look at how we take those times in our lives as opportunities to draw nearer to God in those trials. We'll be looking at the life of Elijah. In fact, we'll be looking at the call of Elijah into the prophetic ministry this morning and the lessons that Elijah had to learn in order to fulfill the ministry that God had called him into. God called him into the prophetic ministry. God anointed Elijah 
Elijah for a prophetic ministry. God had big plans for Elijah, but Elijah had some lessons that he had to learn. And God, we're going to talk this morning about how God teaches those lessons to Elijah in the time of trials. As we dive into our text, though, I think it's important that we set the tone and the tenor, set the scene for what we're diving into this morning. In the times of Elijah, you might could say, they were, they were perilous. They're after the reign of King Solomon. Now, after the reign of King Solomon, Israel divided into two kingdoms. The northern half kept the name of Israel, and the southern half took the name of Judah. Now, Judah to the south had a few godly kings along the way. But Israel... Israel did not have one good king in this span of time. And by the time Elijah comes along, in fact, there have been 19 evil kings that span about 200 years. So there have been 200 years of evil kings in the land of Israel when Elijah comes along. And the king that they have in the days of Elijah is a man by the name of Ahab. And Ahab has been described as the most evil in the sight of the Lord of all of them. So 19 years of bad kings, and now you've got the king of bad kings sitting on the throne in Ahab. Ahab and his wife Jezebel were so evil that her name has become synonymous with that of an evil woman throughout time. When you have a woman who is acting less than virtuous, many people would say, ah, she has a spirit of Jezebel, and that's where it comes from is this evil queen, Jezebel, the king, evil Ahab, and here they are in charge of Israel. In that time, as Ahab led them to worship false gods, you had some worshiping Molech, the evil god Molech, by sacrificing their children to him. You had some worshiping Asherah, the evil god, by taking prostitutes into the temple with them to perform lewd acts in the temple. These were tumultuous times, you could say. Probably not very different than the times we live in today. When things are going awry and going astray and seem as evil as they could be and things are perverted from the truth and twisted from the truth, you say, well, we're not killing our kids, worshiping an evil God. I don't know. We abort more kids in this country than, than anybody in history before. We have mass murder going crazy in this country every day. Maybe we are sacrificing our children to the evil God. Instead of calling it Moloch, we call it pride and self-dignity. I have to preserve myself by killing this unborn child because I don't want to raise it. Now we can point and click and call any symbol we want to about a woman's right, but the fact fact of the matter is abortion is murder. That baby is alive and there are too many options outside of abortion that you can give that baby up for adoption and there are plenty of families that would take that baby in. In fact, even with four babies of my own and me wondering how I'm going to get the last one to sleep most nights, I can tell you if a mother came to me and said, I'm going to abort this baby if you don't take it, I'd take it to give it life. And there are a lot of people that feel exactly the same way I do. So we do worship Moloch. We just call it self now. We do have lewd acts going on. Maybe we don't bring the things into the church in order to perform acts of sexual immorality, but the church goes out and does plenty of them on our own, therefore defiling the name of God and worshiping a false god of sexual immorality quite often. So I might say that I'm inclined to believe that we stand in the days of Elijah right now. 
We stand in the same shape it was in the days of Israel in the times of Elijah. But here's what I want you to notice. When God got ready to make a change in the land, and my friends, there was a change in the land that took place. There was a good old-fashioned tent revival took place in the days of Elijah. One of those that people are still talking about thousands of years later. One of those kind of Billy Graham crusade in North Carolina revivals. When God got ready to have a revival, He didn't raise an army. When God got ready to have a revival, He didn't even raise a king into place. A lot of us look around and we look to the next election. We look to the next voting cycle and we say, that's when revival's going to start. We're going to put a leader in place that's going to invoke change in our country. My friends, that's baloney if you're thinking that. The revival will never start at the White House. The the decay didn't start in the White House and the revival's not going to start in the White House. It's going to start the same place it did in the days of Elijah when God called a man. He didn't call an army. He didn't even call a country. He called a prophet. And that, my friends, is when revival will begin in this great country. It's when the people of God hear the cry of God and be obedient to God and stand and heed the call of God and do what God said do. So this morning, please stand in honor and reverence to the holy words of our holy God from 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll read the first seven verses and then we'll read the last three verses of the chapter, 21 through 24. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward. Hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verses 21 through 24. And he, Elijah, stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper room into the house, and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See... Your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, By this I know you are a man of God. And the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Let us pray. Father God, change us, God. Change us. Help us to turn to you, God. Sanctify us, God. Help us to recognize your holiness. And help us to draw near to you, God, through the teaching of your word, Lord God. Let your word go out correctly, God. If there be a word that I prepare to speak that is false, God, bind my mouth. God, I am acutely aware that in this house this morning we need to hear a word from you, God. So please give it to us. Bind any spirit from this place that ain't your Holy Spirit, God, and run wild among us. And we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory at the end of this. And that is our promise to you, Father. And it is in your precious, saving, healing, heavenly name we pray. As all God's people said, you may be seated. 
First thing I want us to look at in the life of Elijah this morning is there is a difficult call. It was a difficult call. It says in verse 1 that Elijah is a Tishbite. That's about all we really know about Elijah at this point. He has no mention in Scripture before this time. And so we really only know that he is a Tishbite. Now let me just tell you that being a Tishbite doesn't exactly mean anything. It really doesn't mean anything. You know, if you'd have said Elijah the Levite, you might give some, some reason to his call. If you'd said uh, Elijah the, the Pharisee, you might have given some reason to his, to his dignity. But you just said Elijah the Tishbite. It would be about like if somebody today said Brother Jason the Watertownian. Right? You wouldn't think much. When I said I was from Watertown, you wouldn't go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That guy's going to say something important. You wouldn't feel that at all. In fact, you might be inclined to say, I don't know if this guy can spell his name or not. But you say, Elijah, the, no offense to anybody from Watertown. I have lived, I've had a Watertown zip code several times in my life. I, I didn't mean that negative at all. Most of you can spell your name. I know it. I've seen most of you do it. So Elijah the Tishbite, my point is Elijah, based on what we see from him in Scripture, he didn't have anything that qualified him to do what he was about to do. He didn't have anything in his genetic code, in his makeup, in who he was by his inherent nature that was going to make him special, make him worthy to stand up. But here we have this insignificant Tishbite, but the one thing that was significant about him was that God gave him a word. God said to him something huge. God said, you take your insignificant personal self and you go to King Ahab now you know that King Ahab is evil but I want you to go to King Ahab and when you get there I want you to tell him that the drought is coming you tell the evil king that the rain and the dew and the water is not going to fall unless you command it to now I recognize that may not sound too crazy to some of you but I want you to keep in mind that Elijah's done no miracles at this point he hadn't healed anybody. You know, right now, if we say Elijah's going to go and be prophetic, it makes sense to us because we've seen the rest of the story. Elijah became prophetic. But at this time, he's not prophesied anything accurately. He has no skin in the game, you might say. He doesn't have any kind of, of thing that makes you say, I'm going to listen to this guy, Elijah. And so here he goes, in obedience to God, he says, King, the drought is coming. But I want you to see that he says something more. He says, the Lord God of Israel, as the Lord God of Israel lives. Now, Ahab's not a godly man. We've already said that he's ushered his country uh, to, to do many things and, and, and worship many other gods. Jezebel wasn't a God-fearing woman by any stretch of the imagination. And here Elijah says, hey, Ahab, God said drought is coming. Right, think about that. He's going to the king who doesn't believe in God or at least doesn't worship God. And he says, I want you to know that God told me that drought was coming on your land. In fact, when he says that as the Lord God lives, he's saying to Ahab, not only is drought coming on your land because God said so, God said so because it's punishment for the way that you're leading his people. Ahab, drought is coming and it's all your fault. This is a punishment to you. Now, this is the king of the land. 
I want you to keep that in mind. The evil king of the land. He's killed people. He's had people slay. He gets his way. He gets what he wants. And here this insignificant prophet of God goes up and says, Punishment is coming your way. I'm going to announce it. And the rain's not going to fall until my mouth open and says that it's going to happen. That's a difficult task, isn't it? That would be a difficult task. Go to the evil king. Tell him the God he doesn't believe in is going to punish him. Sometimes God asks us to do these things, though, doesn't he? He calls us to a ministry of some kind, and he doesn't even take the time to ask us if it's what we want to do. He calls us into a ministry, and he doesn't take the time to ask us if we think we're qualified for this particular ministry. You see, God has a way of calling us out to the end of the branch. Yeah, you ever notice that about a tree? Think about a tree with me. Right near the trunk, those, those branches are thick and steady, aren't they? Right there near that trunk, that branch is big. You can sit right in the crook of a branch on a tree, and you don't have to much worry about what happens in terms of it falling because it's anchored right there to that tree. But, see, God doesn't let us stay right there very often. He generally calls us off the thick part of the branch right out to the very end. Well, what happens at the end of the branch? As it gets smaller and further from the trunk, it gets wavy and starts to give way and there starts to be risk that you might fall. But what else happens out on the end of the branch, my friends? Those of you who have ever picked fruit off a tree, where is the fruit generally found? Right out on the edge of the branches. You see, that's somebody's going to have to catch up with me on this side. Where is the fruit usually found on a tree? It's right out on the edge of those branches where it's most dangerous and most wavy. You see, that's what God does to us. He says, I have a call on your life. It's not that you would sit near the trunk, near the root, near me. It's that you would take what I've taught you at the root and you would take it out on the edge of the branch and you would look down and you would be afraid. But what do you have to do out on the end of the branch? You have to think about the trunk holding on, don't you? you got to be dependent on God. And that's what God is doing here in Elijah's life. He's calling him away from the trunk and out to the end of the branch. That's what he's doing in somebody's life this morning. Now, I don't know. I just believe that there's somebody here this morning. And I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. I prayed about this last night. I don't know who you are, but there's somebody here this morning. God is calling you into some kind of ministry. Maybe it's teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe it's taking over a nursery program. Maybe I don't know what it is. But God, God's got a call on your life, and you know who you are, and I don't. I don't know who this word is for, but let me just tell you this. God is calling you into something, and for some reason, he's been calling you into it, and you've found every reason, every scheme of Satan as to why you shouldn't. You don't think you're qualified. You think it's too difficult. You don't know how you'll be accepted. You don't know if you can make it. My friend, let me just tell you, something's holding you back. It's Satan. The one thing you need to do is be obedient to God this morning. Be obedient to God this morning. Say this morning that I will stand and I will go to my Ahab. I will go to that big gnarly beast that seems so scary and I will be obedient to God and do what God is telling me to do. Somebody needed to hear that. I don't know who you are this morning. So first we see a difficult call for Elijah. And Elijah heeds that call, doesn't he? He goes to Ahab. God called him. Elijah goes. Good story, let's go to lunch, right? That should be it. God called him, Elijah was obedient, we're done. Elijah takes his place in history as a prophet of God. Let's go to lunch before the crowd gets bad, Brother Jason. Not quite, though. Because you see, Elijah was ready to be called into ministry, but he wasn't quite ready to fulfill that ministry. 
Let me say that again. Elijah was ready to be called into ministry, but he wasn't quite ready to fulfill that ministry yet. He still had to draw nearer to God. And for that, God had a place and a season for him. First, we saw the difficult call. The next, let's look at the difficult trial in the life of Elijah. Verse 2 says, verse 2 says to us that the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward. Get away from here, Elijah, and turn eastward. Here's Thank you for telling Ahab what I told you to tell him. Now I want you to get out of there. I want you to get gone. I want you to make tracks. I want you to turn east, and I want you to go to a specific place. Elijah, I want you to go to that brook Cherith. Now something geographical about that, the brook Cherith was relatively close to the land where Elijah came from. So it was almost like I want you to go almost home but not quite home and I want you to go hang out in the brook Cherith and I want you to just wait for me there. Now don't worry Elijah, I'm going to send you food and I'm going to provide you water but I need you to just be there and and wait. So I mean if the story was written the way we want it to be written we would say, well, Elijah was called into ministry. He was, he was obedient to go and prophesy to Ahab. He told Ahab what was coming. He said, evil king, drought is coming in your land. It's because the God of Israel has said it's coming in punishment of you. And if, if we were writing the story at that point, we would have Elijah pitch his staff down and turn it into a snake to lash out at Ahab just to show that he was a godly man. We would have Elijah turn to Ahab's servant and say, you're, you're healed of this disease so that he could show that he was a man of God and somehow be, be kind of shown that he was important and Ahab would believe every word he said at that point. But because this is not our story, it's God's story, God writes it how he really writes most of our stories a little more realistic. He says, I've called you into ministry, now you've been obedient and now you've got some seasoning to do, young man. I want you to go find your way to the brook Cherith. Now, God's going to do some preparations in the life of Elijah. But they probably won't feel like preparations at that time. Because the first thing we see is that Elijah is isolated in his pain. He's isolated in this season in his life. Ahab would have wanted to kill Elijah. And so here he finds his way to this brook. And that word cherith is important here. I think it's very important. First off, I don't think there's any happenstance in Scripture to begin with. I think it's all anointed by a holy God. But that word for cherith, the brook cherith, there were a lot of rivers between where Elijah told Ahab the story and this brook cherith that he could have had Elijah go and hide in. But here we find him. And that word for cherith comes from a Hebrew word called kerit. That literally means to be cut off from your source or your supply be kind of like if you destroyed the roots to a tree, what would happen to the rest of a tree? Its supply would be cut off and it would wither away, wouldn't it? And so God is literally isolating Elijah. He says, here's what I want you to do, Elijah. I want you to get away from everything you've ever depended on to provide for you. I want you to get away from your family. I want you to get away from your friends. I want you to get away from your church. I want you to get away from everything you've ever depended on that's not me. And I want you to hang out and just sit there and depend on me for a little while. Elijah was going to be isolated in his pain. Now, why would God need to isolate Elijah in this season, though? It was because God knew that Elijah was going to need to understand that all he needed was God. 
Elijah was going to have to learn to understand that all he needed was God. God's going to do great things with Elijah. You read the rest of 1 Kings. God does some amazing things with Elijah. But Elijah had to understand that God was his only source. He had to be isolated in order to learn that lesson. Some of you this morning, some of you this morning feel like you've been cut off from your source just a little bit. You feel like you're, you're, you're out on an island. You're isolated in your pain. You're walking through a journey and that everything you used to depend on is gone. Every person you used to depend on has abandoned you. Every place you used to go, it's not there anymore. And when you turn there, it's just not as helpful as it used to be. You're hanging out in the brook right now and you feel like you're cut off. Maybe you even feel like you're cut off from your God. Maybe you even wonder if God is there. You're thinking, God used to bless me, but he doesn't, he doesn't feel like I'm being blessed right now. I used to be able to count on these things, but it doesn't feel like I can count on these things right now. My friend, might I say to you this morning that just like Elijah, God's not gone from you. He's quite near you, and he may very well be preparing you for more than you ever imagined possible in your life. A.W. Tozer once said, It's quite doubtful that God will bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It is quite possible that God cannot bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Somebody here is hurting deeply this morning. Somebody here is in a season where you feel isolated in your pain. Let me encourage you that just like Elijah, though he was in total isolation, he was learning that God was completely faithful. God was completely faithful. Here's Elijah all by himself, by this brook. And Scripture tells us that each day, twice a day, the ravens came and brought him bread and meat. And each day he drank from this brook. Now I want you to keep something in mind. What did Elijah tell Ahab was going on? Somebody help me. Drought. What happens in a drought? No rain. Nothing grows. If nothing grows, what happens to the animal that eat the stuff that grows? They, they get scarce, don't they? What happens to the brooks when there's no water to feed them? They dry up. Now think about the significance of that. Elijah, I want you to go to the brook Cherith. I'm going to have ravens breed you bread and meat twice a day. Even though there's no crops and therefore there's no cattle, I'm still going to provide you bread and meat twice a day from a raven. And every time you go to the brook, there's going to be water there even though there's a drought. Now maybe somebody didn't understand what I just said, but even though there was a drought... There was water in the brook Cherith, and there was bread and meat brought to him twice a day. See, God told Elijah, you go there, and I'm going to take care of you while you're there. And then God, when Elijah got there, took care of him while he was there, didn't he? He said, you can count on me to do exactly what I promised you I was going to do. God is doing for something just Absolutely amazing for Elijah here. And he'll do that for you also. 
You may feel like you're cut off from the source right now. You said, I feel isolated. When you told me, Brother Jason, you mentioned isolated pain. I amen to that twice. I got on board with that. I feel what you're saying. I know what it feels like to hurt. I know what it feels like to to not be blessed and to be cut off from my source. My friend, let me tell you that God is a faithful God. You may be in a season of isolation. You may feel like you're all alone. But my friend, my God said that he will never, ever leave you. And he will never ever forsake you. So my friends, you can be faithful that no matter how it feels in this season, that God has not left you. God has not forsaken you. God has not abandoned you. My friends, you can take heed that when God says in his word that nothing can separate us from his love, not life, nor death, not principalities, not darknesses, I am persuaded that he is able to see me through whatever it is. You can take comfort in the fact That when the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, when we were in Asia, I want you to know that we were pressed beyond our measure. That literally means when he says that, we were pushed beyond what we could stand. But I'm preaching to you today because in fact, I couldn't stand it, but God stood it for me. I just had to learn that down on my knees was where I made my stand. Now look at verse 7 real quickly. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up. Anybody ever been in a season of isolation, depending on God, supplied by God, and suddenly the brook dries up? Feels like the source that you had learned to depend on dries that brook right up on you. He said, I thought you said, Brother Jason, that God was going to supply for Elijah. Now you're telling me that the brook is dried up. Where's he going to get his water from? You know why God dried the brook up? Because it was time for Elijah to go to work. It was time for Elijah to leave the comfort of that brook. You see, Elijah, as he sat there and the ravens brought the food twice a day and the brook stayed full of water, It may have been isolated pain, but at least it was sustained. And he might have been inclined to get comfortable there. But God God had prepared him in that season to know that no matter what, he was going to take care of him. And he said, God said, Elijah, now that you know that, I can use you for this next step in your journey. You've learned the lesson I had for you to learn. I need you to get up and move on. You see, sometimes God... Sometimes God speaks to us as much by what he doesn't provide as what he does. Sometimes he guides us as much by what we don't get as what we do get. You know, when I surrendered to the call to preach, I felt probably a lot like Elijah felt when he heeded that call to obedience. Probably wrestled with it for a while, I did Questioned God for a long time. Sure you got the right guy, God? You know what I've done. You know where I've been. You know who I was. You sure you got the right guy, God? And then finally, I got tired of wrestling with God. And I said, you got the right guy, God. I hear you loud and clear. I'll preach. Show me the pulpit, God. God, show me the door that you want me to walk through. God, I'll preach. I stood up, I told my church family that God's calling me to preach. 
God's calling me to preach. I thought I was telling them goodbye. God's calling me to preach. I'll probably be gone next week now that I've surrendered. I'm quite positive God's got a pulpit somewhere for me to fill now that I've finally surrendered. I love you guys, but I got to go. It's time to go preach. But God said, Jason, your obedience was the first step, but it's not time for that season yet. It's time for a different season in your life. You got a lot of things you got to learn before you can pastor a church. You got a lot of things you can need to learn before you can preach week in and week out at a church. You got a lot of lessons you haven't learned yet, Jason. Who do you think you are? Suddenly I've called your life for several years. Now you're obedient and you expect me to open the gates open wide. But God said, I got some lessons that you got to learn. And I think back to that season in my life, filling a pulpit here and there, preaching at a church and having every member of the congregation hug me and tell me they love me and they hope that I'm their pastor, only to have a search committee tell me they were looking for someone with more experience. We're looking for someone with more qualifications than you have. We want someone that already has their seminary education. We want somebody that's Already done this a time or two. We want somebody that's already been to a small church and grown it into a big church. We don't think you're the guy. And I can remember sitting in my bed after receiving one of those phone calls from a church that I felt like was sure to be the church. And I remember sitting there saying, all right, God, if this ain't going to happen, I'm going to give everything I got to where I'm at right now. I'm going to be the associate pastor at Southside Baptist Church, and I'm going to play the guitar, and I'm going to give them everything I got because obviously I, I misunderstood you. You're not calling me to the next step. And I got very comfortable sitting by the brook Cherith at Southside Baptist Church, playing the guitar every week and writing Sunday school material and preaching when the main pastor was sick or out of town. I got comfortable with that. The water was there every day. The meat was there every day. And then suddenly God had to dry the brook up. God dried that brook up. And suddenly the place that had been my home for 10 or 12 years, probably more than that, I don't know. The place where I had worshipped for so long. The place that I had seen go from here to there and, and back to here. The place where I made decisions and wrote literature and played guitar and taught classes and taught. I'd seen kids come up from kids' age through the youth group, get saved, get baptized, and go on and be adults themselves. This place that was home, suddenly every time I went, I couldn't worship. This God was drying the brook up because I had preached at Rocky Valley Baptist Church for a month, and he said, that's, that's where you're going. You had to live through this season to get to where you're going. God had to dry that brook up or I'd have never left. I'd have never left. I got comfortable. I, that was not in the sermon notes at all, by the way. Somebody here, somebody here needed to hear that. Somebody here needs to know that God's got a call on your life and you're looking back at the seasons you've been in as reasons why you can't and God used them as reasons why you should. 
God said, I was using all of those seasons in your life to prepare you for something greater, to prepare you for something more, and now you're ready. That's why I've got this call on your life. Now you're ready. Quit finding reasons not to and look at the one reason why you should, and that reason is that you serve a God that is way bigger than your problems. You serve a God that is way bigger than any of your insecurities. You serve a God that is way bigger than any of your unqualifications. You serve a God that while the world may say you can't, if God says you can, then you can and you should. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks about it. You work for God. Don't worry about what anybody else may have said about your unqualifications or your lack of experience. You work from God. If somebody here, you feel like you're cut off from your source. You're in the trial. You don't know where to go. You need to remember that God is faithful. That God has called you to it. God will see you through it. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a call to a ministry. Maybe it's teaching a class. I don't know what it is. But somebody here needs to know that God is not going to leave you without sustaining you. But I want you to look real quick at the last of this chapter. Look at the last of this chapter. Look at verse 21 with me. What's it say that Elijah did? It says he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray this child's soul come back to him. Verse 22, the Lord, what? Heard the voice of Elijah. The soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. You see, the last thing we see this morning as we close quickly is that there's a dynamic ministry. There's a dynamic ministry. There was a difficult call. There was a difficult trial. But God had a dynamic ministry in mind for Elijah. You see, Elijah had to go through the valley. He had to go through the pain. He had to go through learning that he could depend on God to be restored by God, to be dependent on God, because one day soon when God dried that brook up, he said, Elijah, you go. And suddenly there was a boy lay dead. He said his soul was gone from him. If his soul, again, I'm not real intelligent, but I know this. If the soul had to come back, then that means it had gone. And so in that valley, the lesson that Elijah was learning was to be dependent on God because one day he was going to be looking at the lifeless child of a boy. And if he could depend on anything but God, he would have depended on it and that boy would still be dead. But Elijah had learned by that brook to depend on God and he said, I'm going to cover this boy and I'm going to pray to God that his soul would come back to him. And the soul came back to that boy. Now, I don't know about you, but I just said the boy was dead and then the boy was alive because of the dynamic ministry of a man that walked through a valley of the shadow of death and said, I depend on God to sustain me. He got me up. He has a purpose for me. I'm going to fulfill that purpose. And that boy was living. Now that's a dynamic ministry if I've ever seen one. He may not have that kind of dynamic ministry that people write about in the newspapers and that people interview you about on the television show, but he had a dynamic ministry. There was one widow in that land that said, that ministry of that man is pretty dynamic. My son's alive. He may not have gotten national acclaim on the Ahab Even News, but that widow knew he was a man of God. 
that ministry was pretty dynamic. So how do we close this morning? What's this all mean to us? Well, somebody here needs to surrender to God this morning. He's calling you to something more than what you're doing. He's calling all of us to something more than what we're doing. But there's somebody here that God's calling you to something more than what you're doing. Heed his call this morning. Be obedient and let God flow through you. But I can't help but believe that there's somebody else here this morning. There's somebody else here this morning. And as you've heard this message... As you've heard this message, you said, I've basically lived my whole life isolated away from God. I don't even know what you're talking about to depend on God. That's a foreign thought for me, to depend on someone else. I've depended on myself. I've depended on my mama. I've depended on the government. I've depended on my money. But I've never, I don't know what you're talking about. Depend on God in a valley. I don't know what you talk about, depend on God, but I know what it does, feels like to hurt. I know what it feels like to wonder, and I know what it feels like to struggle. In just a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. This man's going to sing a song. The pianist is going to play. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing. And this morning, while that's going on, if you've never surrendered your life to God, you've never said, I want to give my life to you, Jesus. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want you to step out, come forward, and let's just talk about what that means to give your life to Jesus. Because he is the one that will sustain you. He is the one that will carry you through. And there's a believer in the house this morning who says, I'm isolated and I feel alone. You need to come this morning and tap into the source of living water again. And be reminded that God will be faithful. And there's somebody here that needs to give their heart to a ministry. Would you come this morning and say, God, use me. As our pianist comes, as our musician comes, let us pray. Father God... God, we thank you so much. It's so difficult to thank you for the seasons of pain, Lord God. But we thank you that your word tells us that we can take heart and be faithful, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So God, somebody here needs to tap into that promise this morning. Be reminded that you are a faithful God. You are an on-time God. God, somebody here doesn't know you, though. And God, they need the courage to step out and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. I want that everlasting helpmate in my life. I want to be saved. So God, you do what only you can do, and that is convict the hearts of men. And we will give you the glory and the honor and the praise. For it's in your precious name that we pray this evening. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.